Hello everybody and welcome back to the Two Foot Tackle podcast, a special episode of the Two Foot Tackle podcast. It is episode 15 and we will be joined by Jules and Joe from the Almost Blues Brothers in about half an hour in about half an hour's time. Um, you could obviously if you don't want to hear me ramble about Man City Liverpool for um, for about 20 minutes, then you can just skip that, skip to that. But yes, that will that is why this episode is very special, and I assume you could gather that from the title. But obviously, I'll let them introduce themselves when the time comes. But for those who don't know who Jules and Joe are, obviously there is three of them: Jules, Joe, and Dan. Dan unfortunately couldn't join us, but they are making waves in the AFL podcasting scene. So if you're a Carlton supporter, give them a listen. They are very good at what they do. I'm sure they'll plug their own stuff when the time comes as well. But I hope you, the week treated you well. It was a very int- intriguing after um, weekend of football, rather. And yes, before we start, I implore you all. I ask very, I ask you all very kindly, very nicely, with all the empathy in the world, to subscribe on YouTube, subscribe, like, um, hit the notification bell. Make sure you don't miss out on every episode, on any episode, any clips as well, because there's clips coming out midweek um, for the podcast. And then obviously Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, give it a follow, five-star rating, that whole good that good stuff. And then obviously at Two Foot Tackle Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as well. So there's more content coming from yours truly. Um, and then obviously follow me on Twitter as well at um, Ari Stamatakos or Ari underscore Y underscore Stammer. Follow me on Twitter. Why not? Give me some more followers. Um, yes. So I hope you. I hope the week treated you well. I hope you all are doing well. But of course, we are here to talk about the football, and we're here to really talk about one game and one game only, and that was Manchester Liverpool. We will do a review on that. Obviously, let's review. Let's. I want to do one more review. I want to review United season and give that a little bit of a preview and then obviously I want to touch on one other thing that broke my heart midweek but let's start let's start with who else are we going to start with what else are we going to start with the game over the weekend the game over the weekend and it was Manchester City 2 to Liverpool and an idyllic day of football an idyllic afternoon which exposed how beautiful this game truly is it was elegant tenacious aggressive advanced beautiful shithouse like it was everything under the sun and absolutely loved my time watching that game obviously i i expo i exposed expressed my thoughts on twitter um about the game and about what was happening through it we'll do we'll do a review we'll obviously do an in-depth review of it um right now but Brief early thoughts. It's going down to the wire. It's going down to the wire. It's a sprint to the finish now, and one point, two clubs, seven games. That's the equation. And Liverpool obviously have the goal difference. City have the point. It's gonna go down to the absolute wire, and I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be so good, and. Speaking on the game, let's do let's do an actual review of the game itself because it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable game of football, and I saw the lineups. Not surprised at in the slightest about Liverpool's. Thought it was pretty standard. Um, Cities for the first six 
for the first um, seven players. Not a, not a shock. That front three. He started Gabriel Jesus and didn't start Riyad Mahrez or Jack Grealish. And I thought Mahrez was a lock to start personally because I thought he's been playing out of his skin this season. But he he went with he went with um he went with Sterling he went with Jesus and he went with he went with a front line that performed really well. It performed really well and it created a lot of chances. Obviously, Foden was the other player in that front three, and obviously pre-game I did my preview saying I think that he should that they should play De Bruyne as a false nine. Um, I'll eat my words on that. I think he played fantastically well in his role. I thought he was one of the better players on the pitch, um, and I thought he just held his own brilliantly in in that role, or, or whether or not he was Sterling playing in that role, who knows? But obviously, that that front three is very fluid, right? With just remembering the game now, I do think it was Sterling, but obviously Sterling had a great chance early on, which probably should have scored. And and then from then on, it it's kind of seemed that okay. So we've spoken about the lineups. Let's speak about the game because the games kicked off, and my initial thoughts were, "Wow, Liverpool looks sluggish. They look anxious. They look scared. They looked hesitant." And I was like, "Wow, that's not what I wanted to see from Liverpool, and that's not what I thought I'd see from Liverpool anyway." And they got stuck in positions where they shouldn't get stuck in. They got caught out in positions where they shouldn't get caught out in. And City really capitalised. Obviously, that massive Sterling chance at the start of the game, which which was denied. And from then on, I, I thought that that chance would kick Liverpool into gear and, and make them think, oh, wow, well, all right, we're in a game here. Like, we're in, we're in the Premier League final, essentially. All right, we've got, we got to go. But they just didn't look like they were switched on and minutes later Kevin De Bruyne scores from a from a free kick taken quickly quickly and it was a really bizarre opening opening 15 minutes or opening 10 minutes because City looked completely in control Liverpool looked out of it and I thought this could be a drubbing here this could be 2-3-4-0 and really put the league to bed but credit to Liverpool they only need one chance, and they got their one chance, and they scored their one chance early on, and it was a masterful ball from Robertson to the back post, and it was very calmly played across by Trent, and Jota was was there, and very very Van esque from um, Diogo Jota, being in the right place at the right time, poking home the equaliser when his top, when his side potentially didn't didn't deserve it. So it was frantic opening fifteen. Which saw two goals, one against the one, one very early on, and then the other one against the run of play. And Liverpool, from then on, kind of held their own. They really turned the game into a not chess match per se, but a really methodical, systematic style game. They really controlled it and got the game back on their terms. Maybe not in terms of possession, but they limited City into in what they could do. And as the game drew on, that slowly seeped out. As soon as they scored, Liverpool, they got the game under control. And then as the, as the time ticked on, City got back into the game. And their, their second goal came from a masterful ball from, I'm pretty sure, Jao Cancelo. And Trent Alexander-Arnold caught out once again. And Jesus tiptoed to the back post and scored. And that was the avenue. I know that goal came from a corner but or from a free kick, but... Trent was that side was targeted. That Matip and Trent side was targeted. They really went hell for leather down that side. Cancelo 
Canseo had a fantastic game, and Phil Foden as well really exploited Trent's positioning um, positioning issues and Matip's pace. Foden played really well, and Cancelo had a, had a really good game as well. So that was clearly the avenue that they targeted pre-game, and that was clearly the avenue that they went towards during the game, and they found success through it because both, maybe not both goals, but there was a lot of a lot of City's attacks came from that left-hand side, and and for all Trent is fantastic at crossing the ball and an unbelievable playmaker. Defensively, there is still a question mark, a very faint question mark about his ability to. I'm yawning. It's it's five o'clock at night and I'm yawning. Well, all right. His ability to um to impact the game defensively. So they got away with it. I do think Matip didn't play one of his better games, and I also think Henderson as well didn't play one of his best games, which influenced that left hand side for City because. Henderson normally helps Trent out, helps Matip out. They play as like a three, and he didn't have a good game. I thought I thought he had a lot of um, nose, not nosebleed, but like a blood rush into the head moments where he was going, going, going. I wasn't really thinking. Um, yeah, so I don't think Henderson played particularly well. Um, obviously, Jota scored, and then from from once, obviously once Jesus scored, rather, you know, I thought, in my opinion, I thought Liverpool just had to get to halftime. If they could get to halftime two one down. Still be really just be in the game, right? And they're like, all right, we can reset from here, and so that's what they did. And then, and then, ninety seconds, ninety seconds after the the full the halftime whistle, I mean the the second half started even in Liverpool take um, equalised and beautiful finish from Sadio Mane. I think that was the first time Salah really had a, had a real foothold in the game. He he did well to create that goal and. From then on, it was game on, and it was almost as if, all right, who's going to take the game by the scruff of the neck? Because it kind of seemed that seemed that after that Mane goal, both systems had cancelled each other out in a way. Now it was down to who's going to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And Raheem Sterling had the chance; he scored. It was a really good, really good finish, but it was flagged for offside. And whether or not it was offside, I mean, I've seen it once; I haven't seen it again. So my initial. Th- when he scored, I thought could be off here. What, that's my initial reaction. Um, sorry, just putting the camera back in focus. There we go. Um, my initial reaction when he scored was that looks offside. Um, and then on, on the replay, it was touch and go, but it was ruled out. And I mean, you can't really do a lot about it now. But I think that that kind of took the, the sting out of the game a little bit because City thought that they had broken through again they've got the lead for a third time and to have that ruled out is that soul crushing that, that heartbreaking moment of oh fuck we've got to go again we've got to go again and this Liverpool, this Liverpool team were relentless they didn't there was no give in that Liverpool team and credit credit to them they 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 held on they played really well and obviously there was that Mara's free kick that hit the post very late on and I thought that was the moment like I said, I thought the game would be decided by a moment, and I thought that was it. But um, fair credit, fair dues to to Liverpool. They held on. City potentially should have won the game. And if you look at the stats, yeah, okay, City do, City did deserve to win that game based on the stats and the chances and etc. But looking at it from a holistic perspective, I think a draw was a fair result. Um, I can't believe I'm yawning and it's five ten in the afternoon. 
I'm, I'm tired. It's because I didn't sleep. I mean, this game did finish at like 3.30 and I woke up at like 9 o'clock. So, I mean, there's probably that. But, yeah, I do think a draw in the grand scheme of things was the, was the best result. And, um, yeah, that's going to be a interesting game to look back on in 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 eight ga- in eight weeks time when it's down to a sprint seven games two teams one point and oh, i'm pumped i'm pumped i'm pumped for this month 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 and a half really because it's going to show what both teams are made of and i'm going to pull my neck out on the line i think liverpool are going to win the league i think liverpool love being the hunters they love putting that pressure on they love taking it to the limit and they are they thrive in that role i don't think city can can hold on i do think that the the pressure will get to them and they'll bottle it i I don't i don't think pep i think pep will overthink one game and that one game will come back to bite them i don't see liverpool dropping points at all for the rest of the season i see city dropping points pretty soon and going to be a tight tight finish but that's my prediction to put my neck out on the line i've said it now so i can't can't take it back can i so yes um um yeah it's going to be one of those oh wow type things where it's where it's um where it's going to be like it's kind of hard to describe because it's going to be a thing of Who it's cat and mouse? Who drops points? Do you drop points? Who like who drops points and who is that team to bottle it? I don't think any either team can necessarily bottle it, but who's going to be that team that that chokes? And it's going to be very interesting to see. And I think speaking on the game again, I think Edison's moment of madness was bizarre, bizarre, like really weird and. It almost seemed like he didn't care, which was which was the weirdest part. It almost seemed that it was like, oh yeah, it's alright. I'll just pass the ball out on on my goal line with a player up my ass. Like that was that was weird, and I guess it showed that I, I that was almost a microcosm of the whole match. You had Liverpool who were that car that anxious, really like hesitant team. City was so calm throughout, so calm just picking their way through Liverpool, passing it around, no problem. And that was the microcosm of the game. You had you had, Edison, you had Edison, who even when he looked panicked, was calm as a cucumber. Cool as a cucumber, even. And when Ed, when Allison was even in slight under slight slight pressure, he seemed panicky. So I guess that was that was the the story of the day, and one of those things which you can't. Which you, which we, sorry, you, we can't do anything about, but we'll look back on it and think, fuck, if Jota was, was three seconds quicker, or if Jota was, if Jota's legs were like 10 centimetres taller, or whatever, then he would have, he would have, um, he would have got there and, and, and poked home. But it is what it is now, can't change it, can't fix it, can't do anything about it, except talk about it and complain that it didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. So, uh, I think that's it for that game review. Um, now I want to speak on another team who's had a, pretty piss poor season um manchester united their season's done obviously a one nil loss to everton and i thought that ralph would 
I mean, uh, so I want to speak about it, a couple of things. There's a lot of things got wrong with that club. It's going to take a monumental effort to fix it. Monumental. Because you're, and the new coach who comes in, he's going to be that middleman between a mutiny of in the squad and a mutiny at the board. And, and fans, as an external factor, sorry, I just didn't get the yawn out. Um, fan, fans, as the external factor, who are unhappy with everything. So I thought Ralph would come in and steady the ship. I have to bite my. I have to eat my own words on that. He's clearly proven that. Probably not the best manager, um, and he's probably proven that it's that he can't manage the big teams. Um, he's taken United and he's dropped a lot of points in, in games where he shouldn't have dropped points. And yeah, it is it is one of those things where it's like you can only look back and and, and hindsight's a beautiful thing, right? But um. The, the next manager, whether it be Ten Hag, whether it be Poch, whether it be whoever, has a monumental job on their hands because it's 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 a um, so just putting the camera back in focus. Oh, I'm just shaking the camera all over the shop there. It's all right, we're back. Um, yeah, it's going to be a monumental effort because there's so much wrong with that club systematically. It's it's a joke and it's a shambles and. Who, who, who is it? I don't know. My pick would be Ten Hag, but I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Um, Ronaldo's probably going to leave. We'll touch on Ronaldo in a bit, but I think he's going to leave, and I think he's going to... That's going to be the, the point where it's like, oh, fuck, where shit again, because we've had... Probably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Come back to our club, and we've let him go because we can't qualify for Champions League with this ridiculously stacked team. And okay, I've just seen something. Sorry to, oh, I'll touch on that a bit later. But I've just got a notification from David Ornstein, who's who's tweeted something. So I'll touch on that once I finish his talking point. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be one of those things where. They're gonna lose Ronaldo. They're gonna realize the the hole that they're in, and they're gonna be uh they're gonna be like oh fuck, what are we gonna do now? And it's gonna be it's gonna be a tricky situation to get to get out of because they lost to Everton in a way which they shouldn't have lost to Everton. They were really poor, really really poor, and um if you let's let's look at their squad and let's see who should play next season, who should. Who should take the mantle? Um, their goalkeepers, De Gea and Henderson. I think Henderson should leave. I think he have much better opportunities elsewhere. I think David De Gea is past it as a number one. I think he can be. A, I think he can be a more than serviceable number two, but not not a number one. Jones out. Varane, you keep Maguire as far away as humanly possible. Lindelof serviceable. Luke Shaw serviceable Tellers, you probably ship him out Bailly you get him out and either Delo or Wambasaka. and I think that goes to show with either either Shaw or Tellers or Wambasaka. no and Wambasaka or Delo have to leave you can't keep both one of them has to leave and you have to bring in a, a, a starting replacement for the other one midfielders Mata needs to go Matic needs to go Pogba will leave has to leave he's a stain in my opinion and you, and you need to move on, in my opinion. Um, Lingard, you're not getting anything out of him. You're not playing him, so why not just let him go? Um, Fred, 
let him go. Actually, no, sorry. Fred Cape, serviceable. Obviously, Bruno Cape. Scott McTominay, Cape. Forwards, Ronaldo, get rid of... Oh, he'll leave. Cavani, get rid of. Rashford, sign for him to go. I don't think he can do anything more. There's just It doesn't seem like he has a role in that team anymore, and there's just something... Something's not clicking with him, so you get rid of him, in my opinion. Jadon Sancho, um... You keep Mace, Anthony Alanga, you keep, and then Mejbri and Shirtai. I don't know who they are, but I'm assuming you keep them or you send them out online. Actually, no, I will. Mason Greenwood should be not ever play football again and should be in a jail cell and should not be released until. Until I think he should be released. I think that's how it should work. Um, I started over his name and I thought, should I mention him? I thought, oh, fuck it. I may, I've said it now. Yeah. We'll move on. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, that's what... They're, they're my thoughts on United. Like I said, it's going to take a monumental effort to get to get that... To get that... um To get them back to where they need to be. And it's going to be interesting to see whether that the new manager can do it. Because... It is one of those things. Um, next talking points... Next talking point. I say next talking point because I just put this here very briefly. This man broke my heart. Karim Benzema. Now, he scored a fantastic hat-trick over the weekend. I mean, during the weekends. I'm going to say this now, fully confidence, chest it out, chest out. Karim Benzema is the best striker in the world. Karim Benzema is the best out-and-out number nine in the world. He's better than Harry Kane. He's better than Lewandowski. He's better than Mbappe as a number nine. He is freakishly good. He scored two goals in midweek against Chelsea, which were out of this world good. Like, they are they're just sublime finishes. And there's no one else on the planet that can do what he does. Unbelievable. And we've seen now, ever since Ronaldo's left, he's been unbelievable. But it's only now that people are realising just how good he is. No player can do what he does. Best number nine in the world. Hands down. No doubt. It is what, like... Unless someone comes in in the next couple of months or in the next year and completely blows him out the water, I don't see this changing because I think he can. I think he'll keep going and going and going for seasons upon seasons. I don't think he's got. I think he's got a couple of seasons left in him, and he looks unbelievable. So yeah, I think they're my two cents on Karim Benzema and just how good he is. Um, yes, so that is this portion of the podcast done. Twenty-two minutes of just me rambling. So. I'm now going to pass over to future Ari and Jules and Joe and speak about whatever we're going to speak about with the Almost Blues Brothers. And welcome to the first interlude of the of a guest on the Two Footed Tackle podcast. I am with two thirds of the Almost Blues Brothers, Joe and Jules. How are you, boys? Good mate. Yes, two thirds. Dan uh, Dan couldn't make it. He's a busy man. I don't know how we lock him down every week for our podcast. It's a miracle even do that but uh hey you've got how's this you got two-thirds in terms of actual people but i reckon in terms of quality you got about 80 percent. there we go <laughs> there we go yeah how's it going Artie? good how's it good. been good good everything's good. all good now for those who don't who are unaware just what, what why are you why are you so good at what you guys do give us a oh, mate. <laughs> give us a rundown of, of what what you what you blokes are Jules, 
Oh, I don't. What do you reckon, Joe? I think it's just because of the, the personalities that we are, and I think we complement each other very well. Um, obviously, we've known each other since day dot, really, so it makes it quite easy for us to be able to obviously conversate about all things blue baggers and amongst that other things, really. Jules obviously doesn't have a humble bone in his body. We're not we're not that good. We're genuinely just three blokes that are just talking shit every Sunday. <laughs> we release a podcast and people listen to it. That's it. That's that's the start of it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But uh, no, it's good. It is fun. It's good to do it with, uh, I mean, you know, the three of us have known each other forever. So it makes it a bit easier. And um, yeah, it's just, what we, we just finished our 50th, 50th episode. So you know, once you get to once you get to that stage, you feel like you should know what you're doing. But there's some weeks where I just go, yeah. why do people listen to what we've got to say? This is ridiculous. I'm fine. I'm fine <laughs> with this as well. So hopefully, hopefully we can keep going with it. But um, yeah, so for those who don't know, um, this is two, like I said, two thirds of the Almost Blues Brothers podcast. Um, basically, if you if you want to listen to three blokes talk about Carlton for 50 minutes every week. They're 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 you guys. They're the people you want to go to. So all all podcast platforms, Spotify, the whole the whole nine yards. Am I am I correct in saying? Appreciate it, mate. That's good. Yeah. And uh, and how's this been going? I've listened to a couple of episodes. It's uh, it's quality, mate. I like I like the opinion to bring it to the table. I mean, we'll get into it a bit. Obviously, Jules is probably going to be able to. This is probably where you're actually going to contribute more to a podcast for once, Jules, than what I do, which is nice. But how have you found it so far, Ari? Oh, I love it. No, I think yeah, it's perfect platform to talk shit about about the round ball, which I love doing more than anything else. So there we go. I found the I found the the medium in which I thrive. Good. I think. Good. Yeah. All right. Now going into the into what the meat of what we're going to be talking about today. Obviously, for those who don't know, I am joined by two Italians. Is that Ian? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, you are, mate. And obviously with Sweet. recent um, things going on, um, it's not looking too good Italian football at the moment in terms of on the international stage. And I think that's where you're headed. <laughs> I am exactly heading in that direction. Now, please, either floors is either of you, please explain what was the emotion, the emotion after that, after that match and after your untimely exit. Um, I would say it's it's very disappointing, obviously, being involved um, in football um, in terms of the round ball uh, my whole life and obviously being Italian, my parents, um, my dad being born there, my mum coming over. Um, so um, it's very disappointing. But obviously, you know, it was, you know, dying minutes as well. Um, it was a freakish goal. Um, all motions aside, you know, we should have done it in the group stage. So you know, um, wouldn't, shouldn't have to go to the playoffs. Um, you know, we're such a big um, football country, but um, particularly, you know, over maybe the last decade or so, um, in terms of elite talent, I don't think we're up there with the rest of the, the bigger countries as well. So um, in terms of the Euros, we've probably done extraordinarily well with the talent that we do actually possess at the moment. So this is you just said it right. So this is where my head went with it. You, the disappointment of the of the ninety fifth minute. What you can say whatever you want, right? Jules nailed it. We should have got it done in the group stage. I don't know how you go from thirty nine games or whatever it was unbeaten streak, winning the Euros, to then bookending that in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty two with missing World Cups. Like it doesn't make sense to me. It, it 
I, I struggle to think of maybe Greece. Sorry, Ari, but um, I struggle to think of a time where that has happened other than when Greece maybe won it in 04. And it just baffles me. It baffles me for a football nation, for a nation that's so proud. I just don't, I'm with Jules. I don't understand how they don't get it done in the group stage coming off what they came off. Like the personnel didn't really change. Same coach, same coaching staff. It's just disappointing. It's, it's super disappointing. Yeah. Okay. I still, I still think in terms of the Euros, we did succeed expectations uh, to a certain degree as well. Um, But in saying that we still should have qualified for the World Cup. I think that talent wise, we do have enough. Um, yeah, compared to, you know, in terms of the group as well, it wasn't a, a difficult group um, as such. Um, so, yeah, we, should, we still should have qualified. What, what do you reckon was the main issue? M- maybe not issue, but what was the perhaps reason why it, it, it fell the way it did and it, and it occurred the way it did? Well, I think Jules sort of hit it on the head, right? Like we did... We did exceed expectations in the Euros. I don't think anyone really picked us to win it, even though we had that unbeaten streak prior. There was, nothing was super impressive about it. We just, you know, Italy, they rode this wave of momentum throughout the Euros and got it done. Um, but to Jules's point, they just don't have the cattle. Like, Chiro Immobile, he's fallen off a cliff. He, do, he does nothing. Like, he offers nothing. He's a poacher. That's, that's all he's ever really been, to be fair. When you need a bit of flare up forward, when you need someone to create, he's not the guy. And I don't think they've got anyone that can create. I, just, I simply don't. I think in the Euros, we saw, you know, moments of brilliance from, you know, someone like Insignia um, every now and then. But when it, comes to, when it comes to do or die football, you need that creative spark up forward. And unfortunately, Italian football, they haven't really had it for a long time. You know, you talk about Del Piero and whatnot. They're probably the last, you know, Tot- Francesco Totti, they're probably the last of that dying breed for Italian football that actually did something in, in the attacking third. Since then, it's felt like they've gone back to, back to the days of defending and, and, and winning games or, or staying competitive enough to win games or take points from, from nations just by being a defensive juggernaut. It doesn't work. When you've got a team like North Macedonia, like honestly, that just wanted it more, it fell apart. Fell apart. Yeah. And you go and look at in terms of even um, teams now, like you have a look at the Milan team, the Inter Milan team, you have a look at the Juventus team. Um, you know, there's from the, the Italian national team, there's not many players that are playing for those teams and they're, they're the big clubs. So, you know, you have a look at um, England as well. Um, you know, there's a few English players now trying to step up into the bigger teams as well. And they're doing, you know, pretty well on the international stage. Um, but you look, have a look at the, the Italian league and it's not so much. Another thing as well to put into perspective, to put into perspective too, um, you know, you have a look at um, a lot of international teams and they are playing abroad as well. Um, so they're understanding a different style, style of football. Predominantly the Italian team, they do. They just play in Serie A. Um, so that's another aspect of it to look into as well, um, which is um, interesting. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I was, I kind of expected... When the playoffs obviously were announced, I expected a Portugal Italy final of the playoffs, and I kind of thought Italy were a team where you couldn't upset them in a way. I thought they were able to get up for big games like they did in the in the in the Euros final. It was a it was a shock to me, especially like the golfing qualities. So like it's not even comparable between the two sides, and it was a major. 
shock that it was a game. Like I feel like over a over a group thing, maybe if you call that over a group stage, where there's multiple games and there's multiple variables, upsets can happen in that if like you're tired or you've been burnt out or whatever. Whereas in one game, in a one-off game, I thought Italy would have enough. But I mean, it, it was only under a year ago where they won the Euros, and for that to be for that to happen, not even six months later, is pretty pretty disappointing. Yeah, but just goes to show, like particularly in you know in sport in general, it's all about moments. So um, you know, if in terms of like a long season, there you have. A bit more, bit more um, error can, can be made, um, but you go on a one-off match, and you know one error leads to a goal, um, and then that's it. It's game over, and you're out of the, you know, you can't qualify for the World Cup. So um, you know it was all on the line, and we weren't able to um, to get over the hurdle. Jules, I've got to ask you a question because I haven't spoken sure. to you about this. Uh, and for anyone listening or tuning in that doesn't listen to us, they wouldn't know this, but you're, you're in Spain at the moment. You've been living in Spain for the last nine months. So you, you're in Europe. I know you're not in Italy, but you're in Europe at the time when all this happens, right? Was there any, did you see much of it? Did you hear, was it, was it really exaggerated over there versus what we got here? Or was it just, was it just. Um, Not necessarily, to be honest with you. Um, I was, I wasn't, um, I was actually watching Spain versus um, Iceland. So it was during that period, I was actually at a friendly. Um, so I was able to get to that game. And I was watching, obviously, keeping an eye on tabs on what was happening and whatnot. And, but obviously, because we're in Spain, majority of it was around, you know, their friendlies that they did have. So I didn't really hear much about it um, in terms of talking socially with people. Um, but obviously, you know, people that I do know, obviously they do know I'm, I'm Italian. So my friends around here and around, you know, obviously they'll give me, give me a little bit of heat. Um, but in terms of the media, no, I wouldn't say it was a um, as big of a thing. I think in Italy it would have been. Yeah. Another, another thing too is in terms of perspective as well. Um, I don't really watch much news here as well, to be honest with you. I don't really, yeah. So, um, you know. But in terms of football, it's all La Liga and 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 Spain predominantly. There you go. And we will touch on your. I want to. I want to ask about your time in Spain in terms of football a little bit later on. But I want to speak on Italy just a little bit more. And let's go back to the Euros. Let's 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 not. Um, I won't wallow in your despair much longer. Talk me through maybe the final and the the semi final and the the latter stages of that tournament. Yeah, so in terms of like my perspective on things, obviously I was living in Spain. I'm the, I was during that time, so I was here. Um, I, I came over probably two weeks into the tournament, so basically it would have been, you know, when the group stage did actually finish and it was into the final stages. Um, so I was able to come here and watch it, um, the Spain Italy game at a bar, and man, I did I enjoy it. To be honest with you, the whole just me myself and I surrounded by, you know. <laughs> probably, you know, hundreds of Spanish people and I got into them after the final whistle, um, you know. And to be honest with you, there was actually, um, when I did venture out, there was actually a lot of Italians here as well. Just the, the bar I was particularly at, I was surrounded by um, Spanish people. Um, but that was a, a great experience too. Um, and then I was in another bar um, at another um, part of Spain for the final um, against England. 
and that was a great experience too. But I have no doubt in Melbourne, particularly around the Carlton area, Joe, that would have been going off. Well, I didn't go. I didn't venture down to Ligon Street. Uh, there was a there was a big uh, a big cohort of uh, Italian Australians that ventured down for the morning of the final. But luckily, I didn't because apparently they couldn't get the stream going. So I think they only watched about thirty minutes of the match in the end. I uh, I watched both. I, I pretty much watched every game uh, bar the group stages at my parents' house, who live around the corner from me. Uh, went there early, five a.m. and whatnot, coffees and all that sort of stuff, and I was just Going off my rocker, going off my absolute nut, um, especially that final when it got to that penalty shootout, my heart was racing. I think everyone, everyone that was that was invested in it, they were just um, as nervous as it as it got. I don't know. Went down early. Luke Shaw puts it in, and we're going no way. Like like it, it, they just did it too easily early yeah. on, and I don't know. Somehow clawed our way back, and it was good. It was good. It was. Personally, for me, it was it was um, it was a bit emotional. It was the first like big uh, football tournament that I've watched without my grandfather, who was Italian. Um, he passed a few years ago, and yeah, I mean, oh, it gives me goosebumps to think about now. Like you know, that, the whole time I was just thinking about how happy he would have been to see it, and um, yeah, it was just it was good. It was a it was a really good feeling just to to see that happen. It took me back to 06 when me and Jules. We were fortunate enough to go to the World Cup and we came back and watched the final and whatnot. And after Australia got knocked out and yeah, you know, there's similar sort of emotions. Um, so yeah, it was we're buzzing, but you know, the last couple of weeks haven't been the same. <laughs> Clearly not. But the penalty shooter, I feel like I want I want to delve into the the nerves around that because I haven't in more in my club team and both my international teams, Australia and Greece, haven't really been in a penalty shootout that intense you know you know pretty much ever what is the because it's a european championship final on the line in that shootout obviously the week of the week before the game before in the semis you got through in a shootout as well against spain what were the nerves like what was the could you watch it was it like through fingers or how how did you handle it it was almost through fingers. I made sure I, I, I forced myself to watch every bit of it and feel every bit of it. But it makes it a bit easier when you got um, Gianluigi Donnarumma in between those goals. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know about you, Jules, but I, I I looked at him. I'm going. He's he's saving at least two. At least yeah. two. He's saving. Yeah, and it, it should get us over the line. When and when I saw you know that England put up Bukayo Saka and whatnot and just. Some some plays that were just not I felt experienced enough in the moment to to take that opportunity. My nerves settled a little bit. Yeah, I was um I'm a pretty calm person, so um, I was able to watch it no problem. Um, but going back into the nerve of the players, um, it's all from there. There's not much skill involved, to be honest with you. Um, it's all in the mind games and the and you know the mental capacity of the, each and individual players. Um, for both teams so um, you know you sort of have to you know get into your into your own mind and just you know think about the that particular moment and just convert really it's you know you don't need yeah it's one of those tricky ones I've been a part of some penalty shootouts in the past as a player um, and yeah it's you know it's just in the moment you need to be able to to be calm and composed and be able to convert so it's an interesting one, but um, obviously we were fortunate enough to be on the right side of it in the end. Yeah, I, I don't think I could handle it if any Chelsea, Greece or Australia got to a similar situation. I don't think I could watch it. I felt like I would 
crumble, completely crumble. Well, I mean, outside of 06, which was also Italy as well, which I, I don't remember much of, like, I remember it, I don't remember a lot of it, um, but I remember 05 with Australia, Uruguay, and that was like, yeah. I remember sitting there as like a 10, 11-year-old going, like, and just being, it was kind of like the first time with sport, because Carlton have always been shit, yeah. it was the first time with sport for me that I was in like so invested and like wanting to, like you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. It was the same thing. It was the same thing with the Euros for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was obviously 04 with Greece. I was three weeks old or whatever it was, a couple of months old. And then the year after that, I was, well, I was one for, for Australia, Uruguay. So I yeah. feel like maybe I was born and then just the downhill of both my national teams is just progress. So um, I, I I take full responsibility for Greece being shit at this stage. But um, <laughs> but um, I want to obviously, Jules, you are in Spain at the moment, and you have been, as you said, for the best part of nearly a year. Talk me through like football in Spain. Like, how is it different to football here? Um, it's the the difference is you can't it's, you can't compare it. Um, they eat. Drink it, they're just invested in it to be honest with you. Um, it's on another level. Um, I'm fortunate enough to live in Valencia, um, so I've been living here for the past nine months. I have been traveling quite a bit to be honest with you, um, during that period, but um, I've been lucky enough to get to almost 10 games, I would say, um, over the course of the season. Um, and you know, I've, I've been able to see some, you know, around like Real Madrid and um, Atletico Madrid. And, and whatnot so the atmospheres are electric um even pre-game um i was fortunate enough to head to the corporate array um the semi and mate the the pre-game outside the actual stadium never seen anything like it Think like, it, like the, the bar when the like is what you would see on youtube and like in terms of the bus coming down with tens of thousands of people surround surrounding it um, flares, firecrackers, chanting from, you know, and I'm not saying like, you know, an hour or so before the actual bus was there with flares, firecrackers, chanting. I'm talking a good three, four hours before. It's, it's you know, it's you can't compare it. Even after the game as well, um, the noise around the stadium was electric. You had the players, um, the actual stadium itself, Mustaya, um, you enter, okay, and then once you get to like the second and third level, um, when you're actually you know, in the corridors of the actual stadium, you're sort of outside as well. Does that make, if that makes sense? All right. So the players at the end of the game were standing there and mate, there was tens of thousands of people saying again, flares, chanting, um, the atmosphere is electric. Um, yeah. You can't really compare it. Even around, I've been fortunate enough to go to obviously a few bars and stuff like that as well, even for games, um, even there, the electric during throughout the course of the game, they're chanting, screaming, drinking, you name it. Um, so um, yeah, it's whole whole another level. Um, even last week, I was able to head to oh, not last week, sorry, the week before, I was able to head to Spain versus Iceland um, as well. I mean, in um, A Coruña, and even there at the game, it was only a friendly, mind you, and they were playing against Iceland. The stadium was packed pre-game. Um, you know, the atmosphere um, around the bars um, was electric, and then obviously headed towards into the stadium. Like I almost missed the kickoff. Like there was that many people, you know, trying to head in. It was, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, and I hear I hear a lot of um, 
people say, especially from Europe, it's almost as if it's a surrogate religion. If that that's how people describe it, would you agree with that sentiment? Oh, mate, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, you have even um, a lot of foreigners here as well. Um, so obviously, I'm, in, I'm I'm teaching English at the moment in an English academy, um, and I've got you know Scottish, Irish, English people, um, and even them, you know them talking about their culture that they have there and you know they sort of do it here you know they go to an to 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 an irish pub and they head down and watch you know their chelsea or you know arsenal or united um you know it's just a different different breed different kettle of fish compared to to what it is um in australia um you know even in terms of afl um obviously probably being the you know undoubtedly the number one sport in australia um in terms of on a supporter base uh, it's incomparable right, as, as well. You, you, when you have a something that's been going on, you know, in terms of history for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, it's embedded in, in the culture. So um, without a doubt, that's the way. And they, another thing too is to keep in mind as well, when you've got um, that as well, you have, it's, it's like as if you're, the team is a reflection of, of them as well. You know, it's like, yeah, like I said, it's embedded in them. So, um, you know, when they support their team, like I was having a drinks a few <laughs> just last night um, with my uh, my girlfriend and um, a few of her friends. Um, and I was making a joke earlier, like I, I go for the Levante. And, mate, as soon as I said that, they were, they were not aggressive, you know, but obviously they were a bit upset that I did, you know, support them. And obviously they're the rise of, rise of Valencia. So I was just making a joke of it because I know I knew how they would react. Um, but that's still a certain point where like, you know, so it's a fine line, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot more um, ultra type, like the fan base are a lot more like ultras than, than I've, especially here. I mean, here it's growing, especially with the active areas. I mean, there was the Melbourne Derby couple of nights ago and the active support were pretty good um especially from melbourne victory perspective but um what was probably the best game you've been to like in terms of quality atmosphere and the whole nine yards? yeah the best game i've been to um i was at at uh, the mistaya um valencia versus atletico madrid where we came back down from a couple of goals and i'm not talking like you know in the second half i'm talking like the last 10 minutes of the game sort of thing so um and the injury time was i think it went to like six or seven minutes something like this it was like fergie time to be honest with you um yeah so just electric the atmosphere unbelievable that was when crowds were up as well in terms of capacity as well because particularly early on um in the season the capacity was i think it was at 25 percent and then it went up to 50 more or less and then 75 and then yeah it went back up to to 100%. So, um, yeah, at that stage, it was at full capacity and mate, the atmosphere was electric. Um, but in terms of pre-game, I can't... Like, in terms of football experience overall, I can't go past the pre-game at the Mastaya for the Copa del Rey semi-final. Um, and I'm actually headed to Sevilla for the final. I haven't been able to jag any tickets yet, um, but of the total combination and everything like that. So, fingers crossed, I'm able to jag some tickets. Um, for that game, for the final against Real Betis on the 23rd. And um, hopefully um, the atmosphere will be better, <laughs> better the semi-final. There we go. That's the aim. And 
I mean, I'll, I'll throw this to Joe because he hasn't spoken for about 50 minutes. But but day, dude. You don't need to know. Like I said, this is one of the only podcasts where Jules is going to out talk me. So keep going with him. I don't care. No, so I want what to, what's your football like experience or cons- com- consumption in Australia? Jules, like, Jules is going to. What Jules experience? Yeah, Jules have a good laugh about about the experience side of it, eh? Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I grew up playing it. Um, I played it for about four or five years from when I was probably about 10 or 11 to about the age of 15, 16. Played throughout my, like at school as well, um, but then sort of gave it up, focused on my studies, um, whereas Jules has obviously been a lot more um, involved with soccer over a long period of time. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I still watch it. I watch, I'm uh, like Jules, I'm an Arsenal supporter. I watch Arsenal every weekend. Uh, it's been a f- terrible couple of weeks. Compound, compound the Carlton Gold Coast lost with a loss to Brighton at home, and I was just filthy this weekend, genuinely filthy. No, um, oh, mate. And um, yeah, so I mean, that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty big into the EPL. A League have sort of dropped off, unfortunately. Um, and I'll just be honest, I, I don't. It's it's hard to watch at the moment. It's very hard to watch. I tried to watch a game a couple of weeks ago. Sort of thought, you know, I'll I'll flick it on and see see if the quality's picked up. And hasn't. It's just uh, it's very 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 hard to watch. It's a lot of uh, long balls to no one. You know, you 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 watch an EPL game and there's control and they control it from the back half and they they try to get it forward from there and play through the opposition and whatnot. There's none of that in the A League at the moment, and it's very, very disappointing. And it's probably a bit of a reflection on the Australian national team too. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of my football story. I'm a burgeoning um, Tuesday night football uh, futsal player uh, down at Altona Westgate Indoor Sports, five time champs down there. So uh, still going strong. And I think when Jules gets back, uh, we'll have another recruit, which will be nice. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the extent for me. Yeah, I've got a football game at ten o'clock, so filling in for my brother's team. So hopefully we can, hopefully we can get the W tonight. So I'm at Venator Club. Uh, Jules, lead, Jules so. will tell you, I was, I was a handy, I was handy when I when I was, uh, I was a handy football player. I wasn't, I wasn't anything special. There was no flash about me. I was just handy. Yeah, you're like a Harry Maguire. <laughs> oh, he's the opposite of handy. He's fucking shit. He's got a lot about him. It's just all bad. There's just nothing good. There's a difference. Um, I would like to... Uh, I'll, I'll, leave it. I'll, I'll leave it on that one. Thanks, Jules. I'd, I'd like to um, self-christen myself as one of the best futsal goalkeepers in the state. No, we'll go far as to say. So just just slightly on there. Um, if I ever need a fill-in, I'm going to hit you up now. Yeah. That's, uh, that's there you go. There's, there's not too many players that put their hands up for, for the keeping position, to be honest. I love it. Player, um... I love it. I, I find it more enjoyable than playing actual like futsal. But there you go. It's just me, I guess. Um, I think it's it's been alluded to that Jules has been a much basically a better footballer than Joe throughout his throughout his throughout his life. And um, a little birdie has told me that you played at a relatively high level, Jules. So do you want to tell us about that and who did you play for and that whole experience? Um, yeah, so I've been fortunate enough to, um, well, up until last year to play for at senior level for, I don't know, it's been around 13 years, to be honest with you. I started quite young at the senior level. Um, I was 16. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to... Um, 
we'll see Zebras at the time, now Moreland Zebras um, in the old BPL. Um, who, is, who was your coach, Jules? <laughs> I was, um, well, pre- at the start of the season, I had um, Ivan Yolich. Um, so um, he's been an assistant coach for um, a few A-League clubs um, at the moment. Um, he's at MacArthur as an assistant, from what I'm aware of. But um, he was at Central Coast and um, Melbourne City. He might, it might have been Melbourne Heart, but I think it was Melbourne City. Just not too sure in terms of um, the time frame there. Um, but then after that, I was coached by Ange Postacoglu um, oh, nice. for the remainder of the season. Yeah, so i um, being fortunate enough to be coached um, yeah, by, by him. So he's actually not doing too bad at the moment. Yeah, um, he's doing just Scotland, a little bit. So, yeah, so yeah, just a little bit. Um, so obviously they're unbeaten at the moment. Um, going, I think they're like I don't know, and they're going. Obviously they've won the Old Firm Derby um, only a week or so ago. Um, after that, um, I went to Clifton Hill in State One um, for a year again under Ivan Yolich. I had a bit of a good connection with him. Um, and then after that, I was fortunate enough to be. Um, um, during that season in the, throughout the summer, I was at the youth team, Melbourne Victory, um, over the course of that summer and then stayed on with them um, with the, the VTC um, to go into the, to the VPL season. And I stayed with them until the halfway point and then I went to Melbourne Knights. Um, and then after that, I went to Werribee and actually stayed there for a number of years. Um, I helped them. Oh, at least I, I think I helped them um, in terms of getting promoted. Um, Joe might be able to speak. I don't really want to, you know, um, <laughs> talk hey, too much about myself. Um, I like to when I, when I look at Jules's Werribee career, it was probably the peak. It was genuinely the peak of his career. He actually had he still had his pace. It was before all the soft tissue injuries, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. He still had his pace. Classy striker, classy Ari, like very very good in and around the goals. Elegant, yeah. And uh, oh, mate, when he when he says he helped him, he genuinely did. Yeah, I mean, we're both from Werribee. We're, we're both Werribee boys. Werribee were a terrible team for a number of years. Just couldn't get out of. I think they were state league too, weren't they, Jules? For so many years. Yeah. When when I yeah well when I got to the club, they were promoted to state one. So just under because back then it was BPL and then um, state one. So um, from there, um, helped them get promoted um, in I think it was the second year. Um, um, during that period of time too, I was starting to have. A few injuries, but I was sort of like playing through them. I had um, osteitis pubis. Um, so and then um, we got promoted to the NPL um, and I was stay, stayed there for a number of years. Um, and yeah, and then after that, um, I went to North Geelong and obviously started going a little bit down, you know, in terms of um, time actually being spent playing. Um, but now instead of being a striker, I was um, a winger. It didn't. Um, I spent a, a lot of my time as a defensive midfielder, so it, it didn't help, George. Just quickly, it didn't help with your injuries that you're playing on a cow paddock every week out at Alco Park. Yeah, um, but- when I say when I say this place was a genuine mud pit in like on a on a thirty degree day, it was a mud pit on a thirty degree day. I don't know how. I don't know what the drainage was like at Alco Park, but my God, that's, that's, I don't know how that, anyone played football from that. That's where the best players prove their worth on the ship on the ship grounds. It's it's the Sunday league. That's how that's how. It's I, I hope I did. I hope I did. Um, so yeah, I spent um, I think it was four or five seasons there. Um, and in terms of um, you know a close knit group of group of guys, um, you know it was probably my favourite period of time. Uh, we had a coach, coach um, James Coopers, um, who was um, extraordinary. Now they're led by um, 
Stuart Beggs, Beggsy, um, and and um, you know throughout this, I think I've been keeping close tabs. I think they're two and one um, at the start of the season, so they're going pretty well at the moment too. Um, so, but we I played under some electric atmospheres. Um, Geelong Soccer Club got promoted. Um, and when I kid you not, like there was like 2,000 people rocking up to games and, and whatnot when, when there was the derbies. So um, some of the, uh, the atmospheres that we did have, even against um, some Croatian clubs and stuff like that, um, St. Albans, the same again, 2,000, and even the ultras that we do have at North Geelong, um, the North fans, when I say bring in an atmosphere, boy, do they. Joe, are you insinuating something there or? Yeah, they are crazy, mate. They are... Jules, what was your favourite? What was your favourite year at North? Possibly when you went there. <laughs> Joe, don't, don't just keep me. it in. Joe, Joe's a bit of an analyst, so um, yeah. I got I got him down when he wanted to get involved because um, I knew obviously he had a does his forte. So um, and our coach James Coots um, was you know in terms of being a, a coach, he was a you know up to date with, with a lot of things. So Joe used to come down and do a lot of that kind of stuff in terms of video footage and data um, analytics um, for the club. Um, so I took, it, I took it seriously. There was no bullshit. I, t- I took it that seriously. I went and bought myself a pair of white boots and I wore them training. I think I was the first ever analyst to wear boots at training. Boots at training. Taking a professional, I like it. I like it. You, you, go, you go for it. Yeah, but mate, you... You have to get the coppers. I don't coppers. That's what yeah, you have to go. Copper Monday hours. Oh, mate. No, yeah, that's the, what you have to go and get. Uh, I got this. It went all out. Yeah, I went, I went and got the white boots. Sorry, <laughs> just thought I was a little bit, probably a little bit more important than what I actually was, mate. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I heard Ange Postacoglu's name mentioned. Just tell me what was that like being coached under him? Could you see this, what he's become? Could you see this? Was it? instilled with him when he was a young up-and-coming manager? Um, yeah, well, obviously previous to that, he coached South Melbourne um, and then the Joeys um, and then sort of, you know, came involved in, in terms of um, Woodlesey's Everest. But then he obviously went on to coach Brisbane to, you know, in terms of their era that they did have and the football that they did play. And, um, yeah, I could see it from the start, to be honest with you, just in terms of his man management, um, and his um, analysis of the game. Uh, but most importantly, to be able to motivate um, and, um, you know, um, get the best out of the players, um, he's able to do that. Um, I feel like as if he has, a, um, in terms of his um, player management, he's able to get the best out of players. But not only that, um, he's able to get the buy-in from the players too. Um, I think that's a, a key aspect of him. Um, and obviously it's, it was interesting in terms of the fallout that he did have with the soccer ruse. Um, there was a lot of things in and around that, um, which was interesting. But now he's been able to go on to um, bigger, better things. And, um, you know, the soccer ruse are sort of struggling at the moment, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I don't think in terms of on a global scale, um, we've been – obviously we haven't been the same since the golden era. Um, but in terms of football and being able to make sure that we've been able to get the results that we do need, and I think we've been the same since since Ange. To be fair, yeah, yeah, I think he was the um, he was probably the one of the best footballing exports from this country to Europe. Both both player and manager, I think he's like both players and managers included. I think he's been yeah. he's exceptional, and I do mm. think he'll 
manage a top Premier League team or a top European team at some yeah, stage. I've I've heard I know he's been he's been able to do it in Japan, obviously. Um, now in Scotland. If he goes close to undefeated this season, I'm not saying this season. I, I hope that he does stay um, at Celtic for a little while. Um, but I've heard rumours that there are top four, top four clubs talking well, in I've the heard, EPL. I've heard in the a, EPL. I've heard, I've heard a similar rumour about one club in particular that might be losing their manager in a couple of couple of seasons' time, if not at the end of the next season. I think we're talking about the same club, Jules. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that, so it's it? a very big club. So I'm not saying that it's going to happen, um, but obviously the talk that it's there, and to be honest with you, mate, what a, you know, in terms of the players, you've had players from Australia being able to play for, you know, um, in, not in terms of well, big clubs, obviously Cure at Liverpool and whatnot, um, Duke at Leeds during that period too, to a certain extent. Um, but managers, yeah, very difficult. But if Ange able to do it, it's going to, I think it will open up quite a few doors to be honest with you, yeah, for, yeah. for a lot of Australians. Yeah, 100%. And on a personal level, it's good to see a Greg Australian um, take <laughs> back that step. So I've always had an affiliation towards him. But I, whenever, like, obviously he was at Raw and then he went to Victory and then the Socceroos, I thought that natural progression into Japan and then Europe, I just see his career skyrocketing. Like I, I, And he's still relatively young. Like, he's got some years on his side. He's got some learning to do still. And he's, and I don't, uh, there's no reason why he can't be one of the top managers in Europe in in ha- maybe half a decade's time or perhaps even sooner. So it's going to be very interesting to see where his career yeah. goes from here. Yeah, I, I I honestly think he'll get the opportunity. Depending, I don't know how well he'll go. Obviously, we'll see. Time will tell. But he'll get the opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah, he's got, but he's also got to pick the right job as well because he he needs to be smart in where he goes and when he goes. Yeah, I think he sort of needs, in saying that too, you know, you go to a club like Celtic, they're, they're big in their own right um, in terms of their history. And I think he even said it. I've actually, I've actually watched quite a few interviews um, from post-game, even obviously before when he did sign for, for Celtic as coach. Um, and, um, you know, you know, you sort of look, with those kind of clubs, you sort of do have to hit the ground running. Yeah. You know, so, but I think his views on how the game needs to play, be played and whatnot um, and in terms of the focus on where the club wants to be headed, the, the, the committee and the board of the club, they need to be aligned with his views um, and not stagnate or, or differ. So um, I think that's the main thing um, yeah. that needs to happen and what he needs to take into consideration. But um, I'm sure he's a, he's a smart person, so I have no doubt that um, he'll make the right decision. Yeah, hopefully for, for his sake and for... Football in Australia sake that he does because I'm going to throw to you, Joe. What does obviously Australia football is in a hole at the minute? Where what does it need to do to fix itself? Where does it need to improve? I've always been a big believer in you've got to invest in the game, right? Like you can, I don't know. And Jules again can probably talk to this more than me because he's been around it a lot longer. But even when I was a kid, um, the politics at, at even grassroots level is just ridiculous um you know it's it's not necessarily the hardest working players that will get through or or the most talented it's the ones that have you know that have got unfortunately the right connections or the right people in place to, to take them to places that they want to they want to get to not all the time but it, it's there and it's definitely there at a junior level i know i've i felt it um but 
for me, when you even even past grassroots, when you look at well, what can we do now to fix where we're at? You know, we're going to sudden death again for a World Cup playoff um, in arguably a pretty easy group when you think about it. Um, probably should have got through along with Japan very very easily um, without having to go to sudden death. For me, we haven't invested in in the national team since. I'd say Postacoglu, but probably before that, Gus Hiddink, getting Gus Hiddink on board and, and really taking the national team to a level that we'd never seen before. And it's plain and simple for me, invest in the right coaching staff, um, let them make the decisions, pay good money to get someone across. This isn't a, a dig at Graham Arnold. He's done what he's done at domestic level. And I think he's he's obviously a great coach. I'm an armchair expert, right? He's a great coach. But the difference between domestic and inter- international level it's massive, like the 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 golf, but especially Australian domestic football to international football and looking at a World Cup, it's massive. And it's not just the ability to put together a game plan that's going to sustain against some of the best, you know, nations in the world. It's about being able to pick the right players and 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 getting them to play the right roles and 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 executing, um, you know, for for these big games. And Graham Arnold just hasn't been able to do it. That's that's a fact. If if he if he was able to do it, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in. And Australian football wouldn't be in the position that we're in. I don't blame Graham Arnold at the same time. I blame the FFA and, and the decisions they've made over the years to not invest in the game. My grandfather, who, who was the one I spoke about before, he was always a big believer in just pay big money to whoever you need to pay big money to, get them across and get people invested back in the game. So whether it be, I, I know this... It seems far-fetched now, but at the time when he was available, you know, someone like a Mancini who was out of business, out, out of a coaching job after after Man City and wanted the international experience and we go after, I think it was Pim Verbeek at that stage, was it not? And it's like, what are we doing? Like, for an extra couple of mil, probably could have been. And I know I'm not talking about a couple of mil either as just chump change, but if you want to grow the game, if you want to invest in the game, you've got to spend the money at the end of the day. We're coming up against nations that this is, like Jules said before when he was talking about how it is in Spain, it's their religion, right? If you want this game to grow, you've got to invest in it monetary-wise, and we just don't do it. We don't do it at the top level. We don't do it in the top flight. And it's a shame because there are some pretty talented footballers that come out of this country. We're a small country, and it's not our it's not our number one um, our number one sport by any means, it could be, it could be, but we just don't invest in it correctly. We don't invest in it enough, and it's a shame. Hopefully, one day that changes. Hopefully, like you, like you guys were talking about with Ange, right? If if something like that happens and it changes your perspective on Australian football, maybe the FFA wakes up a bit and goes, "All right, now's the time to pull the trigger and invest and and really take that next step." But until until they're ready to invest, we're going nowhere, and we're going nowhere fast. And you can see it in the A League and the quality that's coming out of the A League. It's Probably as bad as it's ever got, to be fair. Yeah. Mm. It's, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's so. interesting. Yeah. Jo- yeah. Jules, your thoughts. In- yeah. I think it's interesting in terms of, um, you know, obviously since the golden era, uh, in terms of the quality of players that we were able to actually produce. Um, you have a look at the, the, the golden era, and a lot of those kinds of players came through the ranks of, um, you know, uh, you know, ethnic clubs um, at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, in terms of um, those kinds of players, that in terms of that calibre, um, you know, um, it's not not happening. Um, I feel like as if we need to sort of um, rethink our perspective um, on those kinds of clubs. Um, I've been involved in, obviously, in terms of um, on a state level, in terms of playing with those kinds of clubs. Um, and I can tell you those kinds of, those kinds of people, um, and obviously, you know, 
they're from European, they're from a culture, um, a football culture um, in terms of the way they think. Um, and we need to tap into that, I feel. Uh, I'm not talking about in terms of the ultras and in terms of them being, you know, in terms of bad sort of publicity on, on those kind of people. Because for me, I, feel, I, I enjoy the atmosphere that the ultras and things like that, that, that they do bring. Um, obviously, there's a certain line. Um, and I don't really want to go um, tap into that, but it's more about the passion that they have and and the drive that they have for the for for the sport to succeed. Um, another thing too, um, I want to talk about is um, just the the difference in terms of options and opportunity. There's none in Australia, like in terms of in terms in terms of comparing it to other footballing countries. You know, we've got twelve professional teams, so twelve coaches. Do you know what I mean? Um, in terms of players, the rosters aren't the rosters aren't as big as um, other other um, other countries. And on top of that, um, you know, the, there's like I said, there's only you know arguably um, twelve clubs. You know, two hundred plus professional players in a you know in a, in, a, in a country. So there, there's the opportunity is very limited. And on and top of that, you've got the physios, the sport conditioning, and and so on, the analytics. So if you want to try and better better the league, there needs to be a second division. There needs to be, you know, um, and I've got another thing too is like particularly the bottom clubs in the A-League, like if they're, if they're shit, because. there's no repercussions. There's nothing. If they're shit, it's all right. Like, you know, and on top of that, the, the A-League helps them in terms of actually propping them up financially as well. So, but the, you know, the other it's, thing- it's interesting too. I think there's a lot that that kind of thing needs to change because if it doesn't and there's no pressure involved to try and prove and try to get better then and the opportunity then a lot of the time you know young players i know there's a couple of players in north geelong um that have gone overseas um as well recently lucas goko um he's signed a pressure club and um uh nicola as well um Vladovich, i think that's how you pronounce his name um they've gone on um and they've signed as well in croatia so you know, and they're actually doing, I've seen a few highlights and whatnot, and they've been playing um, pretty regularly as well there. So, and they're doing well, you know, and they've sort of bypassed the A-League, you know? So well, if they weren't, the other, they weren't able to get involved there, it's interesting. The other thing with growing the game, right, and I spoke about born investing in coaches at the national level and whatnot, but if I think back to five, six years ago, you have the likes of like a Del Piero company for a couple of years and you've got obviously Diamante now at West United and whatnot, but those bigger names like Del Piero and Harry Kuehl when he came to Man City, uh, Man City Mel- Melbourne City, um, Melbourne Victory for those. Like at the end of the day, if you're not if you're not competitive with other nations' domestic leagues from a monetary perspective as well, you're going to lose, it, you're going to lose audience interest. Like how many times have we heard about a player um, choosing the MLS over the A-League just because they could get paid more at the end. Like, do you know what I mean? And it's it's little things like that that I think get overlooked in Australian football that really hurt it long-term. I remember coming out of that golden era when the A-League was really starting up and they started investing in the A-League and those marquee salaries opened up and were able to get those players across. The casual fan turned into a fan that went every week. And I was one of them. I, I went to Melbourne Victory Games almost every other week um, in... Uh, what was the season when Frank Lowy fell off the state stage uh, and we won the, won the title? Yeah, that I I, I promise you, I I, bear, I rarely missed a weekend that that week that year, and um and it was due to the fact that you were going there and you were watching quality football and quality players. Well, for me, the interest levels dropped off because there's no the 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 lack of quality. I'm not going to say there's no quality players, there are, but the lack of quality out there and the lack of quality football that you see at that level is 
you know, it's hard to watch. It's just hard to watch. Yeah, I I, I fully agree with everything you you two have said, and it's a shame considering where we were. It's like if because we've gone on this massive decline. I think that's the worst part. Is like we had it, we had the formula, we had the players, we had everything there, and we've just kind of whether it's through lack of development, lack of investment, um, people not caring. It's the downward spiral that this that football in this country has gone through which i've been very vocal about on this on this podcast is the most disappointing thing and it's very frustrating like Joel said there's there's plenty of quality players out there that are playing at grassroots level at you know senior level in state leagues in the mpl that if we got it right from an admin perspective i think it could turn around very very quickly um but you know the FFA have got to do something. They've got to do something quickly because the drop-off that we've seen, it's only going to keep continuing to a point where it's going to be almost unsalvageable at some point. You know, if you've got a wave of momentum of kids wanting to play football in Australia and it's becoming one of the biggest sports at grassroots level, especially if not the biggest at this point, why would you not want to invest and over-invest to, to secure a long-term and sustainable future for the game? It just, it blows my mind, blows my mind. I, I, yeah, I think that's a perfect note to end it. Um, thanks. Thank you two very much for, for joining me um, on this, on this episode of the Two Footy Tackle podcast. Of course, if you do want to listen to some, some blokes talk about Carlton for an hour every week or almost Blues Brothers on all good podcasting platforms and then obviously Instagram, almost Blues Brothers on that as well. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining me and, um, yeah, hopefully we'll chat soon. Pleasure, mate, and we'll have you on here. Uh, We'll have you on ours at some point too. There we go. That's it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, lads. And welcome back to Just Me. I hope you all enjoyed what Dan, what Jules and Jerry had to say. Of course, there was no Dan, unfortunately. But yeah, check them out on all their socials and, and the, all their podcast platforms. Um, at Almost Blues Brothers, they are seriously good at what they do. They're a, bunch, they're a good group of lads and they are, yeah, like I said, very good at what they do. So. Um, let's go on to who who went into footed, and I spoke. I think I mentioned it briefly um, in the when I spoke about United, but it's Ronaldo and that situation. And I'm going to keep this brief. But that kid is overreacting. I'm sorry, but we get it. Cristiano Ronaldo slapped your phone out of your hands. Oh, my hands bruised. No one cares. Get over yourself. You shoved the phone in his face after he's clearly angry, and you expect him not to do anything. He's human. Like, relax. Like, come on. Oh, my hand's bruised. I don't care. No one cares. Oh, my phone's broken. No one cares. Like, like, should he get a new phone? Probably. Like, for free? Yeah, probably. Should Ronaldo have invited him to training and say sorry to him and all this shit? Maybe sorry, but invite to training? No. Just send a tweet. Or send a fucking letter. Like, relax, man. Like, oh, my hand hurts. No one cares. No one cares. Sorry, but like... Who went into footed this week? Is that fan that overreacted? That Evertonian fan? I, I assume he's from Everton. So, yeah, fuck him. Um, time to preview the week. We're gonna we'll do this. We're gonna do this swiftly because I. He, here's a peek behind the scenes. It says twenty six minutes, um, on my recording, but realistically that's about twenty three because I took a break right and I left the recording open, about twenty three minutes. I don't know how long we recorded with with Jules and Joe. So this could be an hour-long episode by now. I generally don't know. So I'm just going to keep this really brief, the preview of the week. Um, obviously, we have the Champions League games midweek. Um, 
Victory's playing tomorrow, great. Bayern Munich versus Villarreal. I'm going to go with Villarreal one all. They're going to beat Bayern. They're going to beat Bayern Munich. Can I agree? Can I just say that last week I did predict um, Villarreal will get a result, and they did. Um, Real Madrid versus Chelsea. I think Chelsea will win two 0 and will go through on penalties. I hope that happens. Um, Atletico Madrid versus City. I think City will win two one nil away from home and go through. Liverpool versus Benfica. Um, two nil Liverpool. And they'll go through. Atalanta versus Leipzig. Leipzig 2-0. They'll go through 3-1. Well, got Bayern Munich versus Frankfurt. I mean, Barcelona versus Frankfurt. Barcelona 1-0. They'll go through 2-1. Bayern Munich, uh, Le- Why am I saying Bayern Munich instinctively? Lyon versus West Ham. 1-0 on aggregate. I think West Ham win 2-0. Rangers versus Braga. So West Ham will go through 3-1 on aggregate. Rangers versus Braga. I think Rangers win 2-0 and go through 2-1 on aggregate. Tottenham vs Brighton, yeah, not bad game. Any other Prem games that are pretty good? Not really. FA Cup semi-final, Liverpool vs City, I think Liverpool will win that. FA Cup semi-final, Chelsea vs Palace, I think Chelsea will win. So it's going to be Chelsea-Liverpool FA Cup final. Hopefully Chelsea can get revenge over them for the League Cup final. And there, we're done. Alright, I don't know how long this podcast has gone on for, so that's why I kept that really, really, really brief. But thank you all very much for watching. I appreciate you, as always. Um... All the love and support. Very much appreciated. Any engagement on any platform, very much appreciated. So, yeah, stay well, stay safe, enjoy yourselves. Goodbye. See you next week. Goodbye.